Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Today we're going to continue our series on um, on Psalms. And um, as you've seen over the last uh, few weeks, I've been able to sum up some of the Psalms that we've done with one word. So if you remember Psalm 1, everyone remember what Psalm 1, that one word that defines it? Foundation. Okay, then we took on Psalm 8 after that. Who remembers what Psalm 8? Hey, my daughter's answering it all. You, you got my sermon notes back there, haven't you? <laughs> Okay, what was the next psalm that we tackled? Let's not think about the word, but what was the next psalm that we tackled? Psalm 23. And what was the word for that? Trust. Yes. After that? Psalm 32. Forgiveness. Yes. And last week, the one that we all loved. Psalm 40, patience. Um, you know, you just see that Psalm 40, you think, that's got to be a sermon and a half, eh? Just seeing that word, patience. Um, remember how Psalm 40 started with that first line, I waited patiently for the Lord. And what was the last line in Psalm 40? Hurry up, Lord. <laughs> um, and today we're going to tackle Psalm 42. And the word that I'm going to give you is yearning. Yearning. Mother Teresa, when, um, when she passed away, um, they, they got hold of all her diaries and her notes and, and what it revealed was a person that struggled very much with loneliness, a person who struggled very much with feeling, um, in some ways, abandoned. And this wasn't the picture that a lot of us had of Mother Teresa. We had a very strong picture of a strong woman with a strong calling. Uh, in fact, when she received a Nobel Peace Prize, um, she said this, she said, uh, Christ is everywhere. Christ in the poor we meet, Christ in the smile we give, and Christ in the smile we receive. Um, when she wrote um, her story, she was very clear about hearing God's voice, a calling in her life to go to Calcutta and to look after the poor. She had that voice, she knew the calling, and yet, and yet, one of the letters that she had written to a spiritual director said this, it said... Um, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. One theologian says this, he says, um, the writings of Mother Teresa are a ministry to people who have experienced some doubt, some absence of God in their lives and who are these people. His response was, everyone. Even those that we think are doing such a great work, who we would call holy and saintly, are people who still struggle, wanting to hear from God, yearning to, to quench their thirst for the Lord, and yet even they struggle with the silence and the emptiness. So the first thing I want to share with you this morning from Psalm 42 is this, seek God with everything you've got. 
Seek God with everything you've got. Psalm 42 opens up with, as the deer longs for streams of water, as the, as the deer pants for the water. So I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Now, I struggle with this. Uh, a few years ago when I was studying Psalms, uh, a friend of mine in the US, she said, oh, Psalm 42 is my favorite psalm, my most favorite psalm. I love as the deer pants. It's my favorite hymn as well. And I thought to myself, oh, cool, that was great. But as I studied this psalm, I realized this, the, the hymn really gives a bad impression of what the psalm's about. The hymn itself is soothing and soft and we can sympathize with it. Psalm 42 is driven. It's crazy. It's all over the place. There's not just a yearning, there's a wildness about it. If you read through Psalm 42, you know, he's saying, I praise God, but where are you? There's an urgency in it, almost not a good reflection of the hymn, which is okay. You know, a deer has an irregular heartbeat in that if it lacks water, the heartbeat um, accelerates and it has a problem of dehydration. In fact, hunters have noticed that deer, when they're being chased, end up running towards streams of water. And some hunters in the past have said that's because they want us to lose their scent or stuff like that. Well, actually, no, they're desperate for the water. If not, they will dehydrate and die. It's a peculiar thing about deer. So when you see deer by by the streams of water, you've got this beautiful picture of this lovely deer standing by a stream in in, in the forest, you know, sipping water. What's actually going on is it's a wild animal that's driven by instinct trying to get to that water. If not, it will die. Have you ever thought of that before? That gives you a very different image, doesn't it? It's a natural instinct of the deer to be driven to the water as much as it is an instinct for us to sometimes be driven to that living water. It's not sometimes a very smooth thing. It's not just kneeling by a lakeside and sipping the water and enjoying the atmosphere or the beauty. At times it's, I can't wait to get to it because I'm going to die. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? There's an urgency in those words. There's a need in those words. It's not anything that seems very calm. Instead of a violin, I'd imagine an electric guitar playing to this song. That is the urgency that comes out of it. Isaiah, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. Again, you hear this urgency of the spirit of this person just crying out for God. We see in John who Jesus turns around. How does he, how does he say this? He says, you know, hey, people, if anyone thirsts, where do they go? Where do they go? Let him come to me and drink. Anyone ever been really thirsty? I mean, seriously, 
thirsty. How does that feel? I talked to my mum a couple days ago. It was 42 degrees in Western Sydney. And I laughed. I said, yeah, we had frost this morning, ma. For once, I was actually quite happy about the weather here. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember those nights when I was a kid. I'd be laying in bed. There was no air conditioning. You know, and, and especially when you're in Western Sydney, there's very little wind. <laughs> so at nighttime, if it's 42 in the daytime, nighttime will be post past 30 degrees. And it'd be so hot, you'd be laying on your bed and you'd dream of drinking. You know, you just have these dreams. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night and sticking my head under the tap in the bathroom and feeling that cold water, feeling, oh, yes. My thirst is being quenched. Here's Jesus yelling out, if you're thirsty, who do you go for? Come to me. But you see, here's the problem. A lot of us are thirsty. A lot of us here are thirsty. Where are you going to quench your thirst? Where are you going to quench your thirst? Jeremiah says this, he says, God says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of what? Of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. They're seeking to support themselves. They're seeking to fulfill their own thirst, that they have the way of fulfilling that spiritual thirst that they have. And he says, look at this. These cisterns are cracked. It's not going to fill you up. The two evil things they've done, they've abandoned the living water and sought to build their own cisterns. And so the challenge for you this morning, you know, you read the first part of Psalm 42, as the deer thirsts for the water, longs for the water. You this morning, your spirit longs for water. Where is it getting that water from? Where is it getting it from? How many of you have built your own cisterns? How many of you keep digging and digging? When will you go to the fountain of living water? Gives you a whole different spin on deers now, doesn't it, huh? And what thirst really means. Seek God with everything you've got. Everything. Don't delay. Don't hold back. Just as you're real thirsty and you're going to run and find water. Oh, gee, before I get on to the next point, we're in, we're in Europe. It was 2008. I had my youth group with me. We're in Rome. In the middle of August in Rome, I can tell you it's hot. Okay, it's compounded by the fact that there's concrete everywhere. So no matter where you go, it's just concrete. I mean, concrete, that's what, 2,000 years old there too. Uh, it's just there and it's just hot. And I remember we had just walked down from the Colosseum and it was burning down hot and we got to a fountain and one of the kids just ran up to the fountain and stuck his whole head into the fountain which was brilliant because we all wanted to do it no one had the courage to do it but this kid didn't even think twice he just stuck his head straight into the fountain he was so hot seek God with everything you've got the next thing 
in this psalm that you've got to, you've got to pay attention to is being honest about your situation. It's like saying, good morning, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Psalm 42, going into verse 3, says this, Day and night I have only tears for food. Anyone had tears for food? I, I don't think that'd go down too well, would it? While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? Where is this God of yours. <laughs> In verse 7, I hear the uproar of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. And verses 9 to 10, Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? They, their taunts break my bones. Man, that's got to be bad. They scoff and they say this again for the second time. Where is this God of yours? Where is he? You can feel the panting of the deer now, can't you? The heartbeat that's going harder and harder as life just seems to crumble around you. And so when I say, how are you feeling this morning? You're not so great. Maybe you feel just, just like that. Maybe you feel a bit overwhelmed but hey, I've got appearances to keep. And this is church, because at church we dress well, we look good, just like the pastor does. He brushes his hair so well in the morning, so well we can't even see it. No, no. Being part of family means being part of everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, one thing that's been missed as time goes by, your typical Sunday lunches. Who remembers their Sunday lunches? You know, I wasn't a Christian growing up. We didn't go to church on Sundays, but boy, did we have Sunday lunches. And being Italian, we had real good Sunday lunches. Oof. Big bowls of pasta, bread everywhere. All these, oh, anyway. And you know, you all sat around the table, family everywhere, and grandmother would be off in her corner mumbling about you know, kids being so loud, and, and uncles and aunts would be doing their thing, and you knew there was one uncle you couldn't stand because he smelled a weird smell, which later I figured out was Brute 33, but that was, can't use that ever again, you know? And all this stuff that you just, this is family and, and your father would put his arm around you and you'd be embarrassed to be around your parents because they'd say things about you. But this was Sunday lunch. This is what it was about. And for those of us who've experienced that, when we were kids, maybe you didn't like it. But as we grow older, we become fond of it because that was family. And for those of you who haven't experienced it, this is what church should actually be about. It should be like one big Sunday lunch. We come together, some people we don't like, other people are kind of weird. I mean, look at the pastor for crying out loud. I mean, seriously, you know, we're all different and we all have got our baggage. But the power in church is the unity that we have in Christ and that we are honest about the situation that we're in.
And that honesty has to extend to not only understanding the situation you're in, but understanding maybe some of your weaknesses, some of your hang-ups, some of the issues that bog you down. Pride is an awful thing. And sorry, baby, but you peewees have it in abundance. That's the reason why a lot of you don't share what's inside. Why there's a facade of smiles, but never anything more than that. Because deep in, we don't want to share because we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being minimalized or marginalized. But God wants you to be honest about where you're at. How do you respond to people who say, where is this God of yours? Because you know what? Some of you are thinking, where is God? Where is he? Where's he at? Seek God with everything you've got. Be honest about your situation. And in all of that, force yourself to remember the truth. This is going to come out a few times in this talk this morning. Your relationship with God is based on a decision you make. You with me? You make the decision to either remember the truth, to have faith, to believe. These aren't things that quite come naturally to us. You have to force yourself. There are times in life where you've got to force yourself to remember the truth. There's two parts in this psalm, verses 4 and 6, where really he's, he's forcing himself to remember it. He starts with this, my heart is breaking as I remember how, to, how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. And then in verse 6, now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan from the land of Mount Mizar. I will force myself to remember. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Peter is telling his flock, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught, I will always remind you of these things because one day you're going to doubt them. One day you're going to find yourself in difficulty. One day you're going to hit that pothole and you're going to wonder what is going on. And sometimes the only thing that can keep us straight and narrow is remembering the truth. First thing you need to remember when it comes to the truth You need people. You need people. More specifically, you need people of God around you. But you need people. God didn't create you to be Indiana Jones. You notice Indiana Jones, does he ever have somebody going with him? He always wants to go on his own. And he can't stand it when he's got a partner with him. And you see the struggles in the movies you watch, him having a partner. If it were up to him, he'd be on his own. But God never created you to be on your own. Uh, a wise person told me the other day, healing in your life can only come when you're in relationship with people 
around you. You notice people when they're hurt? Notice people when they're struggling? The first thing they do is they retreat, they close their doors off to everybody else, and they don't want to face anyone anymore. You know the biggest problem with that is? They will never find healing. They will never find healing. I can't remember the name of the psychologist who wrote extensively on this, but it says, we humans seem to have been created to not only learn from each other, but to heal with each other. And without the each other, we don't learn and we don't heal. Psalm 42 verse 4, I walked among the crowds of worshippers. I remember when I was with the people of God. We were all together. And David here in this position, he's, he's, he's off on his own. He's been cast away. And he's longing to be walking among the crowds of worshippers. I remember that. I remember how it used to be. I miss it. I need people. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I'll tell you what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with looking at the rosters and looking at the numbers of our people and thinking, in the last six to eight weeks, our average has been well below 100. And then I look at our roster of people, I'm counting more than 200. And I look at them, I say, I see them, but I'm not seeing them regularly. Do they not want to have Sunday lunch together? Is my Brute 33 that smelly? Is, are they annoyed by so-and-so? Oh, no, look, we need rest on a Sunday, Rob. Oh, we've got sports on a Sunday. Oh, we've got this. And you think, we're not coming together. God just asks you to come together. And we've kind of socialized it to the point where it's only once a week. Really? Imagine how you would have felt, especially those of you who are a bit older, who want your family around you on a Sunday lunch and the kids start saying, oh, I've got things to do, I'm not going to be there. You understand that they're busy. You understand that there's a lot going on, but it hurts. It hurts because this is the one time a week people we come together. The only time where we're all together regardless of our hairstyles, the smells and all that kind of stuff. This is who we are. This is who we are. You need people, you need to remember worship. This is one thing we don't do very well. You know, I've, I've, I've been uh, leading worship for a number of years and I remember singing songs like Shout to the Lord and it goes like this. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to our King. Does that sound like shouting to the Lord to you? Really? There's another one, there's a Matt Redmond song we used to play. And we'll be a dancing generation, dancing for you, Lord, my heart. And you're like, wow, if their tongue's moving, that's great. That's about as close to dancing a generation will ever become, right? And you, and you think about this. I mean, listen to, listen to what, what David says. He's singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. I miss that. 
I miss worshipping you, Lord. Oh, you know, we know the song so well that they just come off our tongues, they roll right off. And if we don't know the song, we refuse to sing it because I don't know that song. You know? But putting that aside, what about during the week? When do you wake up in the morning and you see a dull, rainy, thundering day, cold and all that, and you think, praise the Lord, I'm still alive. Praise the Lord that I have a roof over my head. Praise the Lord that no matter what happens in life, you still seem to look after me. Praise the Lord that I've got a beautiful partner, beautiful kids. Praise the Lord that I've got a meal in front of me. Praise the Lord that I'm a part of a great community of people. Praise the Lord that you even love me. There's a lot to worship. And if you want to throw all that aside, just worship him. That's God. He is God. He deserves more than just our feeble singing. Singing for joy and giving thanks. I'm not trying to give you a sermon on worship, but boy, I could get tempted. <laughs> Next thing you need to remember, you need people, you need worship. You need to remember that he is God, not you. You need to remember that he is God, not you. Don't be building your own systems. Don't be depending on your own strength. In verse 2 he says, I thirst for God, the living God. He's not a dead God. He's not a God that lives high up on Mount Olympus, not really caring about what us earthlings are doing. He is a living God that lives amongst us. He is visible. He is tangible. He is right there. Somebody's told me this. I'm going to do it again anyway. They told me, Rob, please don't say that again. You know, when you talk about God being always present, when you're in the shower, where's God? I did it anyway. Where is God when you're in the shower? He's there. He sees you in your nudity. He sees you in your heart. He sees you in your head. He sees everything about you. He knows you. He has the power to change anything and everything. You've got to remember he is God, not you. You've got to remember that. Because sometimes when we're in that hole, we pull out the shovel. I can get myself out here and find ourselves, instead of getting ourselves out, we're digging deeper. And the last thing you need to remember, God loves you. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about you. God loves you. Verse 8 in Psalm 42, each day, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. You know, we, we have a very, 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 very bad view of love. It's been thrown about, it's been trodden on, it's been rearranged, it's been reassembled, the whole thing. Love is, oh, why isn't he doing this for me? Or love is, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Or how about this? Or what about that? Or, oh, it's got to be this. It's physical, it's emotional, it's this, it's that. Hang on a second. God invented love. So if you want to know what love is, why don't you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I think it was pretty clear there, isn't it? If you want an even deeper understanding of what love is, read Jesus' prayer in John 17. That's what love is. And that love is poured out every day, every moment on you because God 
loves you. Holy and completely. Remember we talked about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago. We struggle with forgiveness. We struggle to forget the, 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 the wrongs that we perceive are being done to us. We like to hold on to them as though there's some precious stones that we can throw at times of need. Well, God, when you do a discrepancy, when you do something wrong to him, guess what? When he forgives, he forgets. He will never, ever hold that against you again. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? A lot of you here are just shaking your heads going, no. And if you can't believe it, that's because maybe you're struggling with forgiving. Maybe you're struggling with forgiving. He will not... There, is not, there are some people in here who told me all these bad things that they've done. And I laugh inwardly, not, not at them. But I laugh because I think God forgives you. Stop holding on to it. He forgives you. Not, not just forgives you and then kind of puts it in his little red book or black book and puts it aside so that when he sees you, hey, shh, take a look at this. No, it's gone. It's finished. It's done. Wiped clean. How many times does Christ have to die for you? How many times does he have to die for you? Once. Just once. So we seek God with everything we've got. Be honest about your situation. Be honest about where you're at. Be honest about who you are. Force yourself to remember the truth. Remember that you need people. Even in your times of hurt and pain, that you want to shut the door and leave the world out, maybe you could give yourself a little bit of space. But remember, if you want to heal, you need people. You need people around you. People who will love you. People that will help you and challenge you. You need worship. You need worship. Remember that. You can't go on without lifting up praises to the Lord. He is God, not you. God loves you. And the last thing is you need to decide to trust God. You've got to decide to trust God. This is most probably the most difficult point. We've talked about trust in the past, in Psalm 23. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord watches over me. You've got to decide to trust God. Now, take a look at those two verses in, verse, in, in Psalm 42 and tell me if you see any differences in them. Anyone see any differences? Apart from the verse number? Sorry? Yes. Amen. Absolutely. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? He has to say this twice in a short 11 verse psalm. Twice he has to say, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. He makes a decision at that point, a conscious decision. I will. Put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Saviour and my God. 
We live in a society today that coddles you. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, they would like for you to drink milk for the rest of your life. They would love for you to just let us look after you. And we grow up with generations of people who don't know how to make decisions for themselves anymore. The challenge of being a Christian is you need to make a decision. It's yours to make. God's not going to force you. He's not going to give you lollies. He's not going to give you a payout for it. It's your decision to make. It's all yours. You're empowered. That's a great word. You are empowered to make that decision. Don't let circumstances knock you down. Don't let people around you knock you down. You are empowered to make that decision. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. It takes a lot of courage to say that. Sometimes it's not that easy. But it's interesting when you read Psalm 42, Psalm 43 right after it, there's almost a continuation of it. It doesn't seem to just stop there. It seems like many theologians think actually the two Psalms are one. But if we go into Psalm 43, he says this, he says, declare my innocence, O God. Now, David, after just throwing this all out, he is now talking straight to God. Declare my innocence, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust lies. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you crossed Uh, why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of the Lord, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with all, with my harp. Who's got a harp? Anyone got a harp here? Because that would be cool, wouldn't it? You want to go praise the Lord? You're a little harp. Anyway, harp and God, oh my God. Now, what's the key verse in that? What's the key sentence? I will. And it's like this, I will go. Some of us are waiting for God to come to us. Where is God? Where is he? Why is he? There's a choice I will praise. There is a choice I will go. And here David says, in the midst of all this, I will go to you. I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my heart, my tambourine, my triangle, whatever you've got. Oh God, my God, it's a choice we make. It's a choice that we have to make. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we serve God whether people honour us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We, are, we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. And our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We owe nothing 
And yet we have everything. Everything. It's a choice we make. We all have that yearning in our hearts for that spiritual water. And some of us are driven crazy by it. Where do we go? Where do I find my solace? Where do I find my peace and my rest? Where do I find the love that I need? The fulfillment of this life. What is my purpose? Where do I go? The fountain of living water. That's where you go. You know, you read throughout this Bible and you see these great prophets, Elijah, who ran out into the desert, afraid of his life, feeling he was a failure. No one's listening listening to him. He's lonely. He's hungry. He turns to the Lord and the Lord shows him the remnant. Look, they're not all gone. We read about Job. Boy, do we know about Job now, huh? And all the struggles he went through. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And yet some of the strongest verses in the Bible, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper. Jeremiah. And you know Jesus, in, in John 17, when he's on his knees, I think some translations translate that he had tears of blood. He was so overwhelmed by what he had to do. He felt abandoned and alone. And yet he still turned to his God and his Father. And he chose to take those steps towards Calvary. And Peter realized what had happened to him when Jesus first approached him, fell on his knees and said, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Realization of who I am. But guess who Jesus chose? Who did he choose? Just like he chose you. Seek God with everything you've got. Be honest about your situation and where you're at. Force yourself to remember the truth. You need people. You need worship. God, he is God, not you. God loves you. And decide, decide today to trust God. Decide today to trust God. What is your yearning? What is in your heart that's crying out for water? Where is it leading you? Where are you letting it take you? I want to challenge you this morning. As the deer pants, and as your own heart pants, may you find fulfillment in the living water that is our God. May you trust Him with all that you have. And may he reside in you. May you understand how much he loves you. Boy, how much he loves you. Let's pray. Father God, may the words uh, we've shared this morning uh, sit and dwell within us, Lord. Your psalm, Psalm 42, is a psalm of yearning. And I pray, Lord God, there are a lot of us here that are yearning. Yearning for that living water. Lead them to those streams, Lord God. Lead them to your heart. Spirit, may you reveal yourself to them. Reveal the Father in heaven so that they may find fulfillment in the eternal. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. And thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.